Okay, hello everyone. Um, we are back, and I have today with me Sam Clothier. Sorry, am I pronouncing your name right? No, that's good. Okay, Sam is um, a student at UCL, and he's part of the AI slash neuroscience department. Lovely to have you with us. Thank you for agreeing to do this. So, Sam, to begin with, uh, can you tell me a bit about AI, what what artificial intelligence means? Um, that's a big question. Uh, <laughs> I think most people uh, would say that it's trying to emulate some aspects of human intelligence with computers. Um, I think that's a pretty good definition. Uh, but as to whether we are there yet um, is, is a different question. Um, it's just whether, is that what level you are emulating that? Uh, like how, how deep are we going into the, the brain? effectively uh in in trying to copy what it's what it's doing or or uh or or only at the level of human behavior basically um yeah make more intelligent human beings in a sense well yeah i mean if you can if you could simulate or emulate a, a human brain with a computer then uh i don't see a reason why you couldn't make it more uh more powerful than than a human brain you just need more computing power with the same principles uh in theory so yeah why not <laughs> As far as I understand, the human brain itself is not entirely well understood, which I guess is also another challenge in AI. I mean, um, so to speak, I was told that AI and neuroscience sort of run hand in hand. What are your thoughts? Um, this is possibly the most interesting part for me. Um, because I, I think they've sort of only come together recently uh, in in terms of in it being intentionally brought together um, to try and improve our current AI systems. Um, but really, I think I think uh, originally, like uh, when I say originally, I mean in the, the 50s, um, I think neuroscience or, or our current um, understanding of neuroscience had a very, it basically created the start of, of AI um, in that you've got some neurons connected to each other uh, doing some cool maths. Um, <laughs> But since after that, I think uh, the the research in AI sort of went on its sort of stayed away from 
neuroscience for the most part. Um, and they came up with some really cool ideas like reinforcement learning, for example. Um, and now we real well, actually this was, so yeah, but let's take reinforcement learning as, an, as our example here. Um, I think that that sort of, that idea came about in uh, machine learning in the early 80s, I believe. And then we basically found a very similar looking system in the brain um, throughout the 90s. And we think it could be doing a similar thing, which is like really cool. Uh, but it's, it's basically showing behavior that looks like part of this system. Um, but we don't know if it's really doing the exact same uh, computation or, or bit of maths uh, under the hood. Um, so that, that I would say is still up for debate. But now we're really putting together um, neuroscientists and um, computer science people uh, and mathematicians all in one room in some recent recent companies like uh, DeepMind and that kind of thing, which is which will hopefully be um, really beneficial, but we will see what happens. And since you mentioned reinforcement learning for our listeners who are not very familiar with this topic, what is reinforcement learning? Oh, I don't think I could explain it really uh, properly, but essentially it's if, if you have a, an agent who, uh, let's call it a who, like it's a person, um, and it's in an environment um, and it's got a goal, we want to know, it wants to know whether what it's just done is a good or a bad thing in relation to what it's trying to do, um, the task. So if, and the rule is essentially that if uh, if the agent decides that it's done something good to towards the goal, like it, maybe it got a bit closer, so the thing, the smell of this food got stronger or something, um, then you reinforce the action, so you want to do it again. Um, and if it was bad, then don't do it again. That's the, the core idea. But um, the, yeah, this was the core idea that that was thought of actually quite a long time ago now. Um, but the reason it's sort of taken off again recently is they're sort of adding a lot of uh, auxiliary uh, components to that, lots of, uh, new smaller ideas but this is the 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 core concept and with more computational power that we have re nowadays it's really it's actually like a really powerful method for solving a lot of a lot of problems so it's like um, in simpler terms maybe trying to train a pet um, about you know what to eat what not to eat or yeah. in, in um, the example I was saying like 
if a, an animal is foraging for food um, and it only um, it, it can only know how close it is to the food by the smell or its proximity to the food, then it would decide whether its movement is good based on how close it is to the food. Um, and when it gets it, then it's like, oh, I should do this again uh, next time. It's put in a similar position. And how does our brain implement this idea? Um, um, basically, we have dopamine neurons, which seem to tell us whether something is good or bad. Like, it give, it's rewarding, essentially, to the brain. Uh, so when you, when you eat food, you, you have some dopamine neurons that release dopamine, and uh, they activate some other neurons that seem to be involved with the part of the brain which decides what actions to take next. Um, and we have some ideas about how those neurons might influence uh, this circuit to change your behavior in the future and learn new things. read somewhere in a book regarding addiction that um you know your neurons are like grass or like trees with branches and um anytime you do a particular action there is a sort of path followed uh, i mean a sort of circuit or a signal passing through a particular path and each time you repeat that action you have the same path i mean this signal follows the same path and every time you do the same action um, it basically repeats itself and you know your brain sort of tends to remember this path more vividly um, the more you you repeat the action uh, is this similar I don't know if I'm explaining yeah, yeah. myself the, but... um, well definitely when you take lots of recreational drugs they release dopamine uh, and in theory that um, does change some circuitry in the brain um, like I mean basically it is rewarding so you want to do it again in the future um, but as to whether there's like a specific circuit uh, that one drug might activate and another doesn't. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know if anyone does. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not uh, an expert on um, like neuropharmacology, so I'm probably not the best person to ask. But they they definitely uh, are involved with the same the same dopamine system. I'm just not sure on what the sort of downstream effects are from there. Definitely in the context of um, drugs, especially antidepressants, if I remember correctly. Um, anyway, so you were mentioning DeepMind. Um, can you tell me a bit about DeepMind and, say, Neuralink? 
Yeah, um, I think the cool thing about DeepMind is it's like UCL based. Um, I think it started with some people in UCL um, and they essentially do research on uh, new ways of solving problems which you which AI can do much better than other pieces of software can and uh, this is usually uh, yeah basically machine learn new new methods of machine learning is what they uh, what they spend their time trying to come up with um, and they're just huge basically they have they have loads of funding uh, from backed by Google basically which means uh, they can do this stuff a lot faster than uh, conventionally because all of these uh, machine learning methods need a lot of computing power which is very expensive um, uses a lot of electricity and the hardware itself is uh, very very uh, expensive to make so they're basically the biggest uh, player in the field um, for this uh, machine learning uh, research um, you want, did you want to know about Neuralink as well um, I don't I don't know how they're not super connected to each other but Neuralink are basically trying to do something a bit different which is instead of uh, like what DeepMind are doing which is in some ways trying to uh, copy ideas which the brain might be doing um, or just coming up with uh, cool math tricks that that computers can do similar things uh, uh, sorry I phrased that badly but uh, or, or, or coming up with uh, basically algorithms which do things which apparently human brains can only do uh, but aren't necessarily based on the same uh, computation like machine vision for example um, they can they do a lot of maths with uh, the, the inputs to a neural network and it goes through lots of layers of uh, neurons, which at a high level is kind of similar um, to how the brain works, but um, I'm not sure about um, the, the actual things that the neurons are doing. Um, but yeah, Neuralink is, instead of sort of emulating the brain they're trying to interact with uh with with the brain so they are directly reading out neural signals from the motor cortex and they want to be able to process that information and put in a little device and send it out and be able to work out whether you're thinking you want to move a mouse to the left or the right and use that to control a computer basically um yeah and they want to do that 
on people with who are like paralyzed uh, at first. So you're saying they want to um, translate your thoughts into action using a robot, say? Yeah. Um, essentially, I think research, a lot of researchers have actually done that um, before with like bionic arms, for example, and they have electrodes in people's heads and they learn over weeks and weeks how to use the arm. Um, not sure exactly how well they work. Um, and usually they're sort of just demonstrating it in a lab rather than giving it to the patient so they can use it for the rest of their life. Um, but they're not, I don't think they're going for a sort of arm controlling approach. It's more like uh, they're taking patients with uh, injury to their spinal cord so they can't really move um, and giving them the ability to interact with a computer or control their phone um, because obviously you need your hands to do that. Um, so they should be able to type and uh, communicate with people much more easily than they, they would be doing otherwise. I see. That is very, very cool. Uh, yeah, it's uh, definitely very cool. So speaking of research that DeepMind and Neuralink do, can you give me, um, well, let's start with some of their most impactful research from the past. Can you give me an example of it? Um, so DeepMind, the first thing that springs to mind is the Go uh, thing. Basically, they, uh, I actually, I'm not entirely sure which uh, sort of neural network they use for this, but they basically trained a network of theirs um, to play Go, which is a board game, which is much, much more difficult to uh, learn how to play than chess. And I think they did it in 2015 or something, maybe 2016. Um, they basically beat a world champion Go player with a neural network making the decisions. Um, and and this, this game is orders of magnitude uh, more difficult for a, a computer to solve than, than chess, which I think was done in the late 90s, uh, as in beating the best human at this. Um, because there's literally I don't know how many tens of millions of possible moves at any point of the game. Um, so you can't just brute force your way through that. Um, yeah, like I say, not not 100% sure which, uh, which model it was. You can probably look it up. But yeah, that, that was the probably the biggest thing they did in terms of publicity. Um, got people thinking about what the possibilities are with, with these kind of machine learning methods again. And what about Neuralink? Uh, well, Neuralink is 
pretty recent. I think it was founded in 2016 or 17. They haven't really done anything yet, which is the interest. I mean, it's interesting because I think they first did like a press conference kind of like presentation on what their plans were in 2019, I think. Um, and everyone got really excited about it. Um, but it was basically, um, it was basically Elon Musk asking people to come work for them. So they, they have a really, um, like, really high caliber team uh, over there working now to get their um, implant into clinical trials. Then they have to do, yeah, they're doing a lot of things, uh, developing new materials, uh, new signal processing methods, um, and yeah, they have they have to do a lot of things with medical regulation as well. This is why they're doing it with um, spinal cord injury patients, is because it's much harder to get approval for these kind of things with healthy people because there's risks with the surgery. Um, of putting the implant in and that kind of thing. Um, so they are too, I mean, they've done a lot of stuff, but there's nothing to show for it yet, really. Um, but we should, we should start seeing something in probably about three years, I think, because they're wanting to start clinical trials in people uh, later next year, I believe. Humanity. But we'll get to that. Um, you told me about the most impactful contributions these companies have made. Can you tell me a bit about um, the state of the art technology right now or what's the most recent thing they've been working on? Um, not too familiar with, um, with what DeepMind's been doing in the last few years, to be honest. Um, but I know they're starting to work, well, actually they might have been doing it the whole time, but they're, they're doing work with, uh, with neuroscientists uh, in labs in UCL. Um, I think they're making more of an effort now to, um, to really try to understand what the brain is doing um, rather than going for a... Um, Let's just see what the computer can do uh, with with some cool maths approach. Um, yeah, I I don't I don't really know what they have done with that yet though. Um, they they basically just uh, keep making new machine learning methods and publishing papers on it, um, and they have a lot of people doing that as well. There's usually like 30 authors or something on each paper. Um, but in terms of recent um, recent AI innovations, I would say, I, I don't know if DeepMind involved in it, but the most interesting for me is neuromorphic computing, which is where instead of trying to use computers we have now and our standard computer architecture to simulate what the brain might be doing. For example, you 
make entirely new chips. So instead of our standard processors um, that you might have in your laptop, you have basically designed new ones which have little components inside them which operate a little bit more like more like a synapse or a neuron does. Um, instead of a transistor, which is like a logic gate, which is absolutely nothing like a neuron, you have you might have a little uh, central piece which is like a soma that has some inputs and an output. Um, and there's a lot of different ways of doing that. Like you can do it with, I think, light and optical fibers that that do that. Uh, a lot of different materials. It would be really interesting to see to see what the consensus ends up being on what the best way to make one of these is. Um, but yeah, that's the most interesting thing for me at the moment, and it's very recent because I guess it's very hard to do because you have to make a whole new class of computer to do it. Yeah, and it is indeed a very big step forward. I mean, being able to construct a neuron is like maybe 10,000 steps away from constructing a brain. And constructing a brain is maybe 5,000 steps away from constructing a human being. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, um, I mean, let, let's be clear that they're not they're not really constructing a neuron. They're they're constructing an abstraction of a neuron. Uh, neurons are really complicated. <laughs> um, I as uh, saying that they have a, some inputs um, and an output. When we forget about the number of inputs, the, um, the just the idea that just the server in the middle is the bit that adds up all those inputs and decides whether or not to send an output is like a, a insane simplification of what actually happens and is essentially unchanged. Like that, that's what the first, uh, the first neural network basically was the perceptron in the fifties that was based on that idea that there's these units that sum up inputs and decide whether to output. And it's pretty much the same still. We just use different rules to decide whether or not to, to output. Um, yeah, so we'll have to see whether that stands in, in, in the future. That's, that's lovely. Uh, yeah, and, and speaking of that, um, here is a tricky question about ethicality of AI, which That's is, true. yeah, it's always asked, but it is a very important question. So how ethical do you think these practices are or what could make it unethical? I think the ethics can sometimes be for example, in the data that gets used for these things, because uh, I mean, these what to make to make these huge neural networks. One, you need a lot of computing power, but two, you need a lot of data to train them on. Like, 
I don't know if it's more than what humans go through probably is because they all they do is see out of the front of their face for a few years but these are being fed uh, like literally tens of millions of uh, I don't know let's take the example of Wikipedia articles they're being fed in the whole internet to decide whether or not something is true or um, or maybe in facial recognition you've got millions of examples of people's faces being used and there's a case about I think it was something to do with Facebook using all of these uh, like images of people without asking for their consent um, that's definitely one component of the ethics and the other is probably um, obviously the, the more obvious one is um, on when you should actually let a decision go down to uh, an artificial intelligence model instead of a person um, this is pretty apparent when you're talking about diagnosing someone with um, cancer or something based on a scan and there's um, a cool AI model I think there's a few actually that do something like this where they are shown probably thousands of examples of scans of some of people's chests and it's told whether or not each one has cancer in that image um, and and then they basically prove that or they show that it um, can detect better than a trained doctor whether or not a person in the future has um, has cancer in, a, in a, any given in any given chest scan um, but the argument comes uh, which is is that it's, it's probably more likely that AI will be used in conjunction with with trained people to help them make better decisions rather than being the decision maker itself. Um, so I think that that approach is good. It solves it solves a lot of the problems, um, but then it also needs to be trained on a lot of. Uh, a lot of people so uh and then you only need them once at the start and you continue learning as it goes on so um in in that respect i suppose it's similar to a person uh yeah it, it really it really varies on a um on a case-by-case -case basis like whether what what you want to use the ai for uh, if it's something medical or or some or some application where someone's life is at stake, then um, then it's you're going to be want to be much more careful with that, obviously. Um, and a lot of people also have the concern about uh, not knowing when. Uh, not knowing why uh, a neural network has made a decision 
like the the inside of it is a black box because uh, you don't know you just put the input in and you get the output um but i think there's some recent uh development um where they were able to make a neural network that could actually justify its own decision or come up with a justification uh, afterwards when it's when asked about how it came to that decision which is really cool <laughs> um, you you might say that oh, it's just sort of making it up afterwards why why it did that um, but that is exactly what the brain does basically <laughs> if you if you ask someone why they did something then they'll just make up some stuff about why they did it even though that might not be true um so maybe we're closer than we think <laughs> yeah i guess the most common answer you would get is i used my intuition and intuition in a sense is just really fast synaptic processes i guess or you know, repeated experiences, which is basically the same thing as what the AI is doing, I guess. Yeah, or, or maybe intuition is like you sort of generalizing from other experiences you had, which might be similar at a very high conceptual level. Right. So um, this thing that you're talking about, I know it is already in use, uh, you know, um, AI being used for medical purposes. But uh, can you tell me to what extent it is used and where do you see this going? Oh, um, in terms of where it's being used now, I'm like in practice uh, on a day-to-day -day basis. I am not aware of any. They're all uh, in a state of uh, the ones that I know of are all in a state of being in a paper and not being applied in any health service um, because I, there's definitely reluctance to do it um, and they do they they do have problems with them um, still um, I can't I can't think of any off the top of my head but they they aren't just like a silver bullet you just uh, you just show it a picture and it's like yes or no it's still got a margin of error and you have to be careful about it and there's concerns about where you get the data from and regulators don't want to approve these things which are based on an AI's decision it'll definitely it'll definitely start to get accepted pretty soon I think like at least on may, maybe some of these are in clinical trials I'm not sure um, yeah, they're definitely they're definitely starting to think about it and take it seriously um, but yeah as of right now I don't think there's anything out there um, medically at least I see and what about the future how many years do you think it will take before this actually comes into practice? In a national health service or? I mean, I, I don't think that's happening anytime soon, right? The government mm -hmm. is, no government is going to be ready to take that sort of risk 
at least at this point of yeah. time. The, there's there's super interesting like really uh, maybe slightly lower stakes um, applications like when Greece uh, basically used some some AI to decide which passengers coming into the country to test for coronavirus when they're entering because they only had a limited number of, of tests to give out. Um, so they took some information about like where they came from, how old they were, where they'd been, stuff like that. And um, and the AI would, would decide which person needs to be tested. And it did much better than random allocation because it, could, it worked out that young people were more likely to be um, carrying it and not know about it and that kind of thing. Um, and they deployed that successfully in an emergency situation. Uh, I, I think it was, they started using it pretty much summer 2020. So, um, and that, that was pretty successful. And I guess that's kind of health related. Um, but in terms of hospitals, that's probably along the way off. Um, especially in countries where these things are really highly regulated. Um, it's going to take a while. Um, but I would say it, it's not going to be a really long time. It's probably, I mean, compare, compare what we were thinking about um, neural networks and machine learning 10 years ago to now. The difference is ridiculous. Like, no one really cared about it 10 years ago. Now everyone's crazy about it. Um, but then we might realize that it's a dead end and then go back. I don't know. Um, but if let's assume we're continuing along this, continuing along this trajectory, um, I would probably give it another 10 years um, before we start to see some uh more uh more more integrated applications for some ai making some maybe um assistive or or lower lower stakes decisions in in healthcare okay. well i'm guessing that will be in my lifetime and your lifetime so yeah <laughs> We've, we've got that to look forward to hopefully yeah once once covid is done and you know <laughs> yeah it should be yeah. fun uh okay so what about um the creativity aspect because in of course you mentioned that you can't really uh, completely replace human beings specifically in the medical sector but how creative can AI get or um, say for subjects like math where you need a bit of creativity and a bit of computational power if I may say so um, how much do you expect um, AI to be helpful in these situations um, they can definitely do it uh, already um, you've got I think generative adversarial networks or GANs, which sort of uh, competes against itself inside the uh, in, inside the model, um, to 
basically be creative in in some ways like it can paint things draw things um and the cool one which i i saw recently which was um it can create music from scratch um like just using some software and when you play it to people they have no idea that it's made by an ai and if you i think if you compare it to normal music they think it's like they can't tell which one is ai and which one is human um which is pretty cool um but yeah these are all sort of like uh playground tests at the moment people just having either hobbyists having fun or researchers uh um coming up with new ideas behind closed doors really um i i haven't seen anything mainstream really in terms of creativity yet um there's some other networks which are shown like a million millions of images and you can just type in what you want it to draw and it just shows you a picture of a bird if you type in bird or uh like a completely new picture with with a background that looks like it's taken on earth somewhere um or, or like you can be really specific about it as well like i don't know a parrot with an eye patch on or something and it will draw that um so it can definitely do creative things that you'd think humans can only do um but creative people um would would like to think that they aren't doing the same thing which i i i actually kind of agree with i think um i haven't thought about it a lot to be honest but um they 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 sort of if they're being shown tens of millions of examples in images of just random things from the internet and then splitting out an, an output based on some words which are associated with those images then it's not not doing exactly the same thing as as someone who has maybe painting something uh based on what someone has told them to paint um yeah and and this is the other part is there's the two components to uh to that because when an artist is painting they decide what they want to paint let's say and then and then they do the actual actions with their hand um to create it um uh, one of these the one i was just talking about that just decides what to make and it just obviously puts the pixels out and your image is there um but there's some others which also have some robotics in there to actually do the the strokes of the pencil or something um yeah in general with all of these networks they they show examples of behaviors of people or humans or whatever uh but they're very rarely brought together into one uh coherent thing um which in theory wouldn't be difficult to do um but it just hasn't been done yet um so it sort of makes ai seem like it's 
further behind than it really could be i think like if you just bring together the robotic arm network with the one that decides what to paint uh, based on some words then you've got an artist ai <laughs> right there um so yeah the the there's some, there's some, a lot of cool things left to be done. Yeah, definitely. And uh, well, at least I, uh, I work in formalization of mathematics. So I sort of teach math to a computer. And um, uh, at least over there, I think it's going to be a really long time before we can see computers coming up with really, really intelligent proofs. Uh, which require, which have a high deal of complexity, you know. Um, I think they're still somewhere around proving A plus B whole squared is A squared plus B squared plus 2AB. I mean, actually, you know, proving it stepwise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and as far as... With, with with AI or...? No, no, no. I'm, you know, literally teaching it step by step based on oh. previous inputs. So it's not, um, it's not AI. No, I'm just building a library, basically. But okay. uh, yeah, as far as art goes, this is my own personal opinion. I don't see why it's a competition. <laughs> I mean, the more art, the more creativity we have, the better it is for all of us. And, you know, the world just becomes a better place. So <laughs> I don't yeah. see why. There's, there's definitely an innate uh, way of thinking about it, it for for humans or us. Um, that when when this stuff comes, then it's going to rise up or, or want to kill us. Um, or, but it could it could if it's done properly, then. I don't think that is necessarily going to be the case. Yeah, I mean, there's always two edges of the sword, you know, but I think the risk is definitely worth taking because the sort of problems we could solve are, um, I mean, you know, say, improving the lifespan of uh, human beings or um, solving diseases like cancer, they're they're big world problems so i think it's definitely worth uh trying it out at least i don't yeah. know <laughs> um go ahead. i mean going back to connecting that with the sort of uh ethics part um when there's a new technology there's always the potential for it to be um used in in a bad way or weaponized um which has historically happened quite a lot um so i think i think that is a not necessarily a bigger threat but it's more likely to happen um than than ai just not doing what we want it to do you know um yeah but you can you can easily imagine escalating international tensions uh instead of you've got deep mind uh i think it's based in the uk maybe the us um either way they'll want to you know they'll, they'll just get in touch with, with deep mind government and be like uh can you help us um 
and the researchers would be sucked into that quite easily. You can imagine that scenario. Yeah, most definitely. There are so many, uh, I've heard, I've never actually spoken to any of them. Um, there are so many brilliant mathematicians who are given uh, tasks by the army uh, and they're all secret tasks, so they can't speak about it. But who knows what that's being used for, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And in any case, as long as there's humanity, there's going to be evil. So there's no point really bothering about it. Yeah. Who, who knows? AI might be might be nicer than us. But uh, <laughs> but if it's based on uh, data that comes from us, that seems unlikely. Like you've got you've got. Uh, if, when you make AI that's based on lots of random inputs from social media, it becomes racist, um, like intentionally, uh, lots of really bad things. Um, just it, it, it can, if you're talking about making machine learning models uh, that are trained on, on data that we have to generate ourselves, then it's really hard to get rid of any bias in it. <laughs> that is inherent in, in the data, which will, will almost always come from people. So it's pretty likely that it will be, uh, unless we, we do this, uh, or figure out a way to alleviate it a bit or, or get around it somehow, um, it's gonna be difficult to, uh, avoid bias in general um, and especially societal biases when you're thinking about uh, AI that interacts with people. Yeah, most definitely. Well, thank you very much, Sam. I have run out of questions to ask you. Not really. We can always do a part two if you're interested. But yeah, thank, you. thank you very much for your time and it was lovely to see you. Okay, yeah, thank you for having me. See you soon. <laughs>